Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you're watching online, welcome. Let me encourage you to just kind of get comfortable where you are and uh, just engage the Word with us today. Hey, I was thrilled. Uh, uh, we are not many weeks away from moving into our new church home. Uh, this uh, uh, past week, they finished putting up all the lights and all the sound equipment uh, on the ceilings. This uh, Tomorrow, they'll carpet the sanctuary. Hopefully this week they'll finish all the exterior painting, and uh, we're pretty excited. This week we're supposed to, uh, if we can get a temporary occupancy permit, supposed to be able to move our offices in on Thursday. So we are heading there, and uh, it's just some of the, on the outside front is, uh, is what's making us drag our feet a little bit. But my hope is we can have our first service either the third or more likely the fourth uh, weekend of February. So we'll let you know about that as it comes. Ushers, we've got a lot of people either having hot flashes or they're hot, so uh, give us a little, little air here. A little warm, too. We've been doing a series called Reset. Everybody say Reset. What do you think of the button, whether it's on your phone, your computer, your, uh, any device? How many know Reset returns uh, a device to the conditions from which it op properly operates? And I believe every January is a perfect time for we as Christians to reset our lives, to get on track with God, to get focused in our spiritual life. Two weeks ago, I, I shared a message with you about our life's mission the biggest thing we as a believer are supposed to uh, do and accomplish in our life. And if you remember, we summarized it this way. It was to follow Jesus and reach people for Him. Can you say that with me? Follow Jesus and reach people for Him. That's the main thing that we're to be about. Um, I give you as not only a model or a paradigm, but Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, Jesus saw two brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're fishermen. And Jesus said, come and follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Now, that may sound odd to you, but I've got a little spinning reel I love. It's got six-pound line on it, and uh, I put a little purple worm or a little blue worm on it, and uh, I could just about throw it in your mouth there and reel you in. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, catching with a fishing pole. He's talking about speaking words to people that capture their hearts for Jesus Christ so their eternity is bound towards heaven and not hell. And we are God's intermediary. Uh, Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. And that's the challenge for us as well, not to quit our jobs per se, but to be deliberate about the mission following Jesus. It's a call to every Christian to do all that we can to tell as many people as we can about Jesus so they'll spend eternity in a real place called heaven. Now, where I begin today is Jesus said we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do our mission. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, Jesus said you will receive power. See, when I do this, I'm not just scratching my old ear here. I want you to tell me what, what's on the screen. Um, you, you know, a, a monologue talk, you don't pick up very much at all. But if you can interact a little bit, and that's why I do these things, that's why I try to engage you so you retain more. But uh, Jesus said you'd receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite, and it's not intended for destruction. Uh, but I want you to think about the power of dynamite to build a tunnel through a mountain or, or to move things. It's a spiritual power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my 
Yeah, my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. So there you see the coupling, our witness for Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need more than just an argument or more than just a conversation, but for God to move upon the heart of the person that we share with. Now, today we're going to look and see how the early church was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and how they then changed the world. And I have a very simple purpose today. I want to challenge you to think of the possibility that the same power that worked in the New Testament church can work in our lives today. I want to deal with an issue very specifically that, that uh, you perhaps have never thought of or perhaps you found yourself a little antagonistic towards. But is the book of Acts merely a historical record of the church or what we saw happen in the book of Acts, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, um, prophecies, words of knowledge, a divine healing, deliverance from Satan's power. Is that just a historical record, or is it possible that these same things can happen today? Well, my contention is they can happen today. And I don't want you to believe that just because I say it. But I want you to believe what the Bible teaches and I want to do my best today to give you a very clear biblical understanding about this idea that the power of the Holy Spirit could work in your life and my life today. Now, let me illustrate it to you. Let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say uh, uh, you get ready to, you know, you're, you have lunch and you're, you're home, you're kind of watching TV, just piddling around. And about five o'clock, you start thinking about the kids going to uh, school tomorrow and you realize we don't have any lunch meat. So off to Walmart you go or wherever, Albertsons, and uh, you're just kind of got your little cart, you know, going around, you're in a rush, you want to get home, but you happen to catch this woman out of the corner of your eye, and I'll just say it this way, in your heart you feel drawn to her. And I don't mean because you're physically attracted, but you just feel some kind of God connection. How many have ever felt that towards a person? You don't know exactly what it is, but you just feel like God wants to do something. Well, anyway, you just kind of let it go. But um, you go around the corners, and then you find when you get to the, where the vegetables are, there she is again. And you stop, and you say, well, Lord, is there something that you want me to do for her? And you, you, you hear what you believe is the Holy Spirit, and you have this impression that she's lost hope and she's suicidal. Now, how many know that's either God or it's not? But it could be. Well, what if you had the courage to take a step and believe that it was the Lord and went up to her and said, ma'am, I know you don't know me and this may seem a bit odd, but I just felt like the Lord wanted me to come over and tell you that there's hope. Now, she can do one of two things. She can throw the oranges at you and call the cops which she probably won't, but it's a good chance that she might say, tears, how did you know that? I have seen the power of, this is called in particular, a word of knowledge, where God speaks to something, God reveals something, the Christian acts on it, and it has the power to change a life. Well, now, this is what I'm talking about today, and I've entitled this message, Reset Possibilities. And I simply want to challenge you from the Bible that the possibility for this type of activity is real for today. Now, we're going to look at three things in the Bible today. Number one, we're going to look at a historical record, how this happened in the early church. Number two, I'm going to give you a theological basis. I don't want you to believe something just because I tell you, but I want you to see it in the Bible. 
that the possibility that it exists for today. And number three is, is an application about how we might find this, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit working in our lives as well. Now, this week, we're, it's kind of like I'm talking about the Holy Spirit working through us to help others. Next week, we'll do a part two, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit working in our lives, what he does in our inner world with character and fruit and those kind of things. But let's go ahead and begin. Acts chapter 8, if you've got your Bible, uh, I want to look at these supernatural acts of the Spirit in the early church. And I want to look at two individuals. I want to look at one named Philip and one named Ananias. And it's very significant that neither of these men were apostles. Uh, Many of us have been taught that the miracles in the Bible were done through the apostles, uh, which they were. But they were also done through ordinary people just like you and just like me. Uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip, not an apostle or a preacher, but he was one of the first deacons. He was a servant in the church. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, we see this, the uh, narrative opens up with a man named Saul. Saul would one day become converted. He would become Paul. He would write two-thirds of the New Testament. And this man, Paul, would be responsible for the church being established throughout the entire Mediterranean world. So God's got big plans for him, but right now, he's an Orthodox Jew, he's a Pharisee, and the same ones that crucified Jesus are trying to squash out the the church as well. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He dragged out men and women to throw them in prison. I want you to imagine if you're in your home, Jason, for example, and somebody knocks on the door. And they say, uh, you either deny Jesus or I'm taking your children or I'm taking your wife or I'm taking you. And as they drag off daddy and the little girls are screaming and, and mom has her, uh, her uh, AR-15 and she's, uh... <laughs> no, but you get the, you, you, you get the point. Uh, this, is, this is a real deal. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. In other words, what Satan intended for evil, God was going to turn around for good. And here's a confidence I want to give you. There's a lot of fear in the Bible-believing Christian community that politically in America, there could be persecution in the future church. Let me tell you what, nobody can stop the gospel from going forth. Come on now. Nobody can stop the spread of the gospel. The early Jews tried, but today there are three billion, that's with a B, believers around the world. Uh, this idea that the gospel goes like seed, uh, I love to garden. I like flowers and, you know, vegetable gardens and everything. Uh, my grandmother was a gardener. My mom is. I was raised on a farm, and it's uh, kind of in my blood. But uh, I have what my wife used to call a weed patch off my porch. And uh, it wasn't much to it a few years ago. But in the fall one year, I saw in a field off Highway 59 and 67 these beautiful yellow flowers blooming in September. They were about that tall, and they just had these huge bouquets of yellow flowers. And I decided I'm going to get some of those guys. So when they went to seed, I went out there, and I got some of the seed and put them in a little bucket. And I went out to my weed patch, and I just scattered them around. See, this is like the gospel. And this year, those things had totally eclipsed my weed patch. And uh, my wife uh, is advertising people to take pictures on it. It looks so pretty. Uh, That's the way the gospel works. You try to squelch it out, but it just keeps popping up because of its power to change the lives of people. So there goes Philip, verse 5. He goes to the city of Samaria, and he told the people about Jesus, the Messiah. Now look at verse 6. 
crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear, but don't stop there, his message and see. Everybody say hear and see. So they heard biblical truth about Jesus, but they saw something that the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of people that was not mystical, spooky, or weird, but it had a positive effect. We'll see later on, people were getting delivered from demonic powers. People were getting healed of different diseases. Anyway, let me kind of take that thought of hearing and seeing and show you that that was a part of the fabric of the New Testament. Not only was the gospel preached, but the Holy Spirit would move in power uh, and, and transform lives. And as you listen to this historical account, I want you to imagine the possibilities if it could happen in my life as well. Let's read first Hebrews chapter 2, speaking of salvation. It said, salvation was first declared by the Lord. Number one, it was attested to us, the apostles, by those who heard. So now we've got, uh, we've got three kind of generations. But notice what verse 4 says. God bore witness by Signs and wonders are spiritual acts of the Holy Spirit. It's not, uh, it's not uh, fortune-telling. It's not magic. Uh, it, it's something genuine that God does. And various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, gifts of the Holy Spirit, you can find two lists. One in the book of Romans, one in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12 and 14. But it talks about, in Corinthians, nine different gifts of the Spirit. And notice what it says. These gifts are distributed according to His will. Which means that we as believers actively seek these gifts. We pray. How many know we can't make God do something? For example, one of the gifts in Scripture, the Bible teaches us to pray for the sick. Well, if I pray for a hundred people and none of them are healed, I don't stop praying because my basis for praying for someone that's sick is not the results of what happened in the last prayer, but it's what the Bible teaches me. I just want to get myself in a place of faith and obedience and trust the Holy Spirit to act in His time and His way. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, we see not only there in Hebrews, but Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, he said, my message in preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He might say today, he might say, my preaching didn't require stage lights and it didn't require videos. They're not bad things, but he said it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And as we go into this new year, I'm simply encouraging first myself and then you to begin seeking God, trusting God, stepping out in faith, believing that supernatural acts can be a part of our lives. Mark chapter 16 broadens this greatly. Now Mark chapter 16 in a, all of your Bibles will have a, a, a note by the translators. And it'll say, in some of the original Greek manuscripts, these so many verses are not a part. But yet, it's a part of enough manuscripts that every Bible I have has Mark 16 in it. And what it teaches us is demonstrated throughout the New Testament. But let me tell you, Mark 16, what Jesus himself said. These signs will accompany those who believe. Now, how many believers in here? Wave your hand at me. If I believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus said these acts of the Holy Spirit are possible in my life. And here's the first one. In my name, they'll cast out demons. You say, oh preacher, you don't believe in demons, do you? 
I sure do. I look at the evil in our world today. I look at the violence. I look at the hatred. I look at the spirit behind abortion. I mean, you know, when Satan fell from heaven, the Bible said a third of the angels fell with him. These were demons. In the biblical era, uh, they recognized demonic activity. And today, we, we look at it in more sophisticated terms. And it's like demons have, have gotten more sophisticated today. But how many know demonic presence is real? Yeah. It's real in the world. And how many know the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? So if I ever talk to someone, and I don't mean, uh, you know, like the exorcist. That's the only horror movie I've ever seen in my life. Some dumb girl dragged me to see it when I was a teenager, scared me to death, and uh, I, <laughs> I, I didn't like it. But I don't mean uh, the exorcist. You know, if, uh, if, if, if you run across someone like that gal that, you know, turned her head all around in circles and that long green tongue and vomited, I'd call Kevin Moat. Don't call me, okay? <laughs> you, you, you call Kevin. But, but uh, for example, I believe some behaviors that we call addictions can be fostered by demons. I wonder if there's a demon that's behind the whole pornography yeah, industry. Absolutely. I wonder if there's demonic activity about things that transfer through families. Well, it's alcoholism, violence, uh, child molestation. I wonder if there's spirits behind some of these things. And I wonder if a person genuinely were to come to you and said, I'm sick of this. I want to break this adultery off my family line. My granddaddy did it. My daddy did it. And I don't want to do it. I want my child, I want my child to have a mom and dad that's with them all their life. And uh, I don't want to have to deal with that pain. I want you to pray for me because I struggle with lust. And I want to pray that that power is broken off of me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is what we're talking about. Yeah. Jesus said there's power for the believer's. Uh, the next he said they'll speak in new tongues or new languages are without a doubt the most misunderstood and confused of spiritual expressions. But uh, you see it in the Bible. Uh, you can read about the gift of this capacity to speak in a spiritual language that you didn't learn. To be able to pray in this language, to worship in this language, and even in times interpret it. You say, well, that's pretty weird. Well, let me tell you why it's weird. It's because we've been conditioned by the age of enlightenment that, that reason is everything. And if it's not reasonable and logical, it's not true. Well, can I tell you, friends, that's not biblical. On the day of Pentecost, uh, people were speaking in languages they didn't learn. People gathered around them, said, hey, I understand the language. And 3,000 people came to Christ. Notice what else it says. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. Who's got the snake? Pat, did you bring the snakes today? You forgot it. Now, you didn't laugh. That was supposed to be a joke. Some of you are ready to leave. Listen, this, this is not what you've seen on television. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, know that you can test the Lord. We're told not to tempt the Lord. What this is talking about, we see it illustrated in, in Paul's life. Paul was on the Isle of Malta. Uh, he picked up some sticks to make a fire. It's like a copperhead or a, a poisonous snake bit him, but he shook it in the fire. It didn't kill him, and then lo and behold, a revival broke out. So it's just a way of saying is God's Holy Spirit can give us power over this kind of activity. Um, uh, if you drink deadly poison, it won't hurt you. Now, that's not saying dip rat poison like you do tobacco, okay? That's, again, testing the Lord. 
But perhaps if someone tried to persecute you, kill you, or hurt you, and the Holy Spirit spared you from that. Again, supernatural actions. And lastly, of course, it talks about... um, uh, uh, I lost my place. About laying hands on sick people and they recover. Now, I want you to see verse 20 after that. If these manifestations happen, verse 20, they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, confirming the message with accompanying signs. Now, this is what happened there in the early church. Now, let's look at the next guy. His name is Ananias. The first was Philip. Ananias, again, not an apostle. Not a deacon, he's just an ordinary Christian. Here we see Saul again in the picture. Now, Saul, where he is now, Saul is persecuting and killing Christians. Saul has just killed Stephen. He was there when he was, when he was stoned to death. And uh, uh, Saul has an encounter with Jesus. In the middle of the day, a light shining brighter than the sun shines. It blinds him. He can't see. He falls from his horse, says, who are you, Lord? And there he is in a, in a humbled mess. And uh, now we're waiting to see what happens. But look at verse, chapter 9, verse 10. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Have any believers in the room? Yeah. Could we be a candidate for this? And verse 10, the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Just imagine a vision is like a a segment of a little TV show. But the Lord spoke in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, yes, Lord. He knew the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said, I want you to go over to the house of Judas. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And listen to the excuse, verse 13. But Lord, have you ever tried to tell God something he doesn't know? Well, that's what he does. He said, Lord, there's terrible things this man has done to believers. He's arresting everybody who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go. And Ananias went. Well, how many know if you're going to be used by the Holy Spirit, you've got to be willing to obey. If you're sitting in this church building today and you're saying, Lord, I do want the action of the Holy Spirit in my life today. Now, look, I'm not telling you to go to the Walmart and, and, and go to the lady that's at the vegetables and tell her that she needs hope. But what I am saying is God might ask you to do something like that. And you have to have the courage to step out in obedience. Because again, it's not for us. It's not so the newspaper will write a feature story on us. Most of the time in the Bible when miracles would happen, Jesus would disappear. He he didn't want the people giving praise to him. Well, anyway, uh, verse 17, Ananias laid his hands on him. Now, in the Bible, there's what's called the doctrine of the laying on of hands. It is a spiritual transference. When a spirit-filled person would lay their hand on another person, and it's not magic, it's not electricity, you may or may not feel anything, but, but, but it, it, by faith, the Spirit of God works. He lays his hands on him, and as we read this, you know, oftentimes we refer to the Bible as stories, and I've been convicted of that. This is a historical record. The Bible is the most documented book in ancient antiquity. In this historical record, he lays his hands on him and said, Jesus has sent me that you may regain your sight, be physically healed, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this, there's this second encounter with the Holy Spirit because next, of course, he's, he, he's able to see and then he's baptized in water. This word filled with the Holy Spirit is synonymous With the Holy Spirit coming upon a person, the Spirit, and this is language in the New Testament, the Spirit falling on people, or what's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you my understanding 
And I'll kind of jump ahead a second and come back to this. But my understanding is that every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside them. That when you invite Jesus into your life, he comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. But what uh, Ananias experienced with, uh, uh, with Paul was a second experience. Some would call it the second blessing. Uh, uh, an encounter with the Holy Spirit after salvation. So anyway, uh, kind of with that background, I want you to think of the fact that uh, um, I, can, I can be a Christian, but there can be something more. In my own life, and I'll share this from experience. I mean, no, the Bible always trumps experience, but if experience lines up with the Bible, then go with it. Um, in my experience, I, uh, I was saved on uh, August, 20, uh, August 15th, 1976. It radically changed my life. Without a doubt, it was the greatest experience of my life. The second greatest experience in my Christian life happened in Adak, Alaska, when I was walking home from the, uh, the church meeting down to our barracks, and I was just worshiping and singing. I was by myself. It was dark, and the Holy Spirit fell on me just like what I'm describing to you in the Bible, and it revolutionized my life. Uh, if there are things you admire about me, if there's things that you're drawn to in this church, if there's things that are times that you sense the presence of the Lord in a real way, or maybe someone has shared a prayer with you or a prophecy with you, and you just knew it was God. That's where all this comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. You're quiet on me out there. Let's look into the Bible, Acts chapter 2. And, and let me give you the theological basis of this, what I'm describing today. And here's my big question of the day. Is the supernatural ministry of the Spirit historical only? Or is it possible today? And my contention is, because of clear Bible teaching, it's possible today. Let's read. Uh, the context here is the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit has fallen on this group of several dozen people. And what we would call the strangest thing happened. They spoke in languages after they were baptized in the Spirit that they didn't learn. Uh, it's like speaking Spanish without learning Spanish. Uh, I know enough Spanish so I can communicate, find out where the bathroom is and, and how to get some orange juice. And, 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 you know, I can do a little bit and say no mas on, on filling up the concrete bucket. But I'm very limited because I've never studied it. Well, this was supernatural. So then you have this supernatural experience happen. 3,000 people are becoming Christians. Now listen to the explanation. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, but Paul say, or Peter says, in the last days... Now, here's a, here's a foundational question I want everyone to answer. Do you believe we're in the last days? Yeah. The last days uh, are understood as the period of time either after the resurrection or the ascension all the way up into the end of the book of Revelation. The last day period of time. But notice verse 17, in the last days, God says, say it with me, I will pour out my spirit on I will pour out my spirit on believers in the A.D. 30. He says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will. That settles it for me. It settles it for me that the same Holy Spirit that came on Pentecost is available in the entire period called the last days. Now, this word prophesy doesn't mean predict the future. Uh, it's defined as one who prophesies, strengthens others, encourages them, 
and comforts them. Well, how many can say, I need strengthening, and encouragement, and comfort virtually every day of my life? How many have had somebody just out of the blue, if I can say it, share something with you, and they said, you know, I feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you this. And it absolutely brought security, brought comfort, brought help to you. Man, I get stuff from people all the time, and I put it on my desk. Now, how many know just because somebody says something's from God doesn't guarantee it is? Thessalonians says we have to prove it, we have to test it, does it line up with the Bible, etc. But uh, I tell you what, it, I, it has brought tremendous help to me, particularly in times of despair and trouble in my life. I, I, I got a word from a pastor not too long ago uh, about the struggle that I was having with an anxiety disorder that just came at the perfect time of my life. So this is what the Bible says will happen in the last days. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Uh, Jason, are you, are you having visions or dreams? You got little gray going there. So you're a visionary dreamer, huh? Well, Steve and I are still seeing visions. One day we'll dream dreams. What's the difference between a dream and a vision? Not much. Uh, a dream typically happens while you're asleep at night. But God is speaking. Even on my servants, what does it say? Both Listen, if God pours out his spirit on a woman, why should she not have the ability to be able to minister as far as the spirit takes her? You know, I mean, I, I understand authority, but how many know every man needs to be under authority and every woman needs to be under authority? See, but if a person's under spiritual authority and they're anointed by God, listen, go for it, man. Minister to people. Uh, but God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. Let me say this, my friends, that settles it for me. Because on the day of Pentecost, Peter is saying, this is going to happen throughout the entire last day period. And whether I experience it or not, whether I, I, I see, uh, I, I've seen lots of things, some of which could have been a miracle, some could have not, a natural explanation. But the most dramatic miracle I have seen in my life happened when we were on a missions trip in Mexico a number of years ago where a grandmother in the back of the room couldn't see. And during the course of the service, I don't even think anybody prayed for her. But all of a sudden, people are gathering around her. And the interpreter told me, uh, it's her children and it's her family. And they're all crying. And we're wondering what's happening. And they said, this woman who is blind can now see. Amen. I mean, that just does something to your faith. But I don't believe that divine healing is possible because I saw it or somebody told me. I believe it because it's in the Bible. In the Bible. Yeah, I believe not my experience. Is, uh, it doesn't determine what I believe. Uh, now, let's, let's look at the last part. This is more personal application. Uh, I, I want to talk about a very key word that provides more foundation. Let me tell you just a little bit about my story. Uh, I, I was raised Methodist. Grateful for it. Learned John 3.16 from my Sunday school teacher, Julia Guy. A Gideon gave me a Bible. Uh, I got saved when I was 19. I was discipled in the Navigators in Millington, Tennessee. I was just hungry for God. I was saved during the Jesus movement of the 70s. And everywhere I went, I was, I was just a Jesus person. 
And I was trying to find a church in Adak, Alaska, and uh, uh, the base chapel wasn't it. It just didn't work out. It went to the Catholic church. That wasn't it. And uh, I saw some people going in a chapel annex next to the chapel, and these two young fellows came out with guitars and big old Bibles. That's before you had a phone with a Bible on it. Everybody had a big old Bible. It was a big old study Bible. And, and they were just kind of like me, and they invited me to go to church with them that night. Well, that hallway door opens up. We were a little late, and all these people have their hands in the air. And I thought, what in the world? I had no idea. And they're clapping their hands in church. I had no idea Psalm 47.1 was in the Bible. Clap your hands, all you people, shouting to God with the voice of triumph. I just didn't know it was in there. And then I heard later on these people were saying God told them, and oh, and then the really weird thing is I heard somebody speak in tongues, and I didn't know what, I didn't have a clue what that was. Uh, they scared me. I'm just being honest with you. I got scared, but I couldn't deny this. I sensed the presence of the Lord, and it fostered a hunger in my heart, and rather than letting my fear drive me away from that, fortunately, my friends took me to the Bible in the book of Acts and just got me reading and I began to see these things that I'd never been taught before were in the Bible. And once it's in the Bible, come on now, you can put your trust in it and you can go after the experience. Well, let's see, let's go back a little more foundation here. Uh, Acts chapter 1, and there's a key word I want you to listen for. It's the word promise. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus is speaking and he told them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the the promise of the Father, this is the Holy Spirit. He said, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, yeah, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? When we think of baptism, what do we think of? Water baptism. But you know, the Bible teaches that the Israelites were baptized with Moses in the cloud. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance. Jesus had a baptism of suffering. So the word is confusing for us. Um, it's a Greek word, baptizo, uh, that we didn't have an English equivalent, so we just did what's called a transliteration. We just made up the word. But let me illustrate it, uh, how it applies to the Holy Spirit. Imagine that you are a glass, and when you become a Christian, you get saved. The Holy Spirit fills your cup with water. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, take that same glass of water and put it in a five-gallon bucket of water. It's baptized in that bucket. Something else happened. Jesus said it's going to happen at Pentecost. It did. And now listen, and this is the heart of what I want to say. This is where <coughs> Philip explains it, or, or Peter explains it, uh, verse 33. He said, Jesus, having received from the Father the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that's the day of Pentecost, He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. There was some demonstration of the Spirit. Verse 37, it impacted the unbelievers and they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. Now, here's where I'm going in all this text. Look at verse 39 for the promise. Now, what was the promise? That the Holy Spirit would come to you in a supernatural way. The Holy Spirit would fall on you, baptize you. The promise is for, say it with me, you, you and for your children and for all. Can anybody say all? all. Say it one more time. All, all who are far off. For everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. How many everyones are in here? 
What are you that didn't raise your hand? Are you an anybody, a nobody? Or? We're all in everyone. So once again, and let me tell you how I click. If I can be convinced something's in the Bible, I'm going to lay hold of it. I don't care if I know somebody who's done it or is doing it or, or, or whatever, but if something is clearly taught in the Bible and the Lord says it's mine, and that's what they said here. Now, let me close with this little part. How do I receive this second blessing, this second encounter with the Lord? Uh, there's two times in the Bible, uh, one on the day of Pentecost and one with a, a man named Cornelius, where just in conversation, the Holy Spirit just fell. It's like right now I'm talking and the Holy Spirit just fell on all of us and, you know, we were all filled with the Spirit. Only two times in the Bible, Pentecost for the Jews and for the Gentiles under Cornelius. The rest of the time it seems to come in a different fashion. It's facilitated by a Christian. Look at verse 14. Now, we're going to go back to Philip. I want you to think in this story about 15 minutes ago. Remember, Philip is in Samaria. He's the deacon that's preaching. Let's go back to his, his account. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. Uh, can we agree right now that they're Christians? Yeah. Sure they are. They sent Peter and John. They prayed for the new believers to... Now, why would you pray for a new believer to receive the Holy Spirit if you got all there was at your salvation? And if that's not enough to convince you that there is a second experience with the Spirit, read Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, the first 10 verses. It's very clear that there's a second encounter with the Spirit that opens the door to spiritual power. They prayed for these believers to receive the Holy Spirit. He'd not yet come upon any of them. A synonymous term. They'd not been baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Uh, then Peter and John did what? They laid their hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit. What is that? It's a biblical doctrine of the laying on of hands. It's a spiritual transference. It's what we often do in prayer. It's not mystical, spooky, weird. There's no power in and of me. I'm just a guy. There's no electricity you're supposed to feel. But it is an opportunity for faith to be realized and the Spirit of God to, to minister in a person's life. So that's kind of what I, what I wanted to say to you today. Is As we go in this new year, I want you to imagine that the possibilities of the power of the Holy Spirit are available to all of us today. And I'll close with where we began in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my what? Power and the witness. Not just the witness, but the power of the Spirit and the witness. Imagine the possibilities, how our world could change if God could find a group of people who were submitted to Him, committed to taking the gospel around the world, and desperately desiring for the Holy Spirit to move through them. I believe we could see some change in Texarkana, USA. Don't you? Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He is worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? And again, next week we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, talk about part two about the Holy Spirit in us. And uh, doing things like conviction and, 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 and producing fruit. I want to encourage you about our Wednesday night. We've got a great little Wednesday night right here in the main church. Adults and kids. Teenagers are in powerhouse. But we're doing not only worship but, uh, and prayer, but we're doing a little series by uh, Robert Morris about sharing our faith. It's called Real, and it goes right in line with what I'm preaching. 
But I want to ask you to do this. In just a moment, Pastor Mike's going to close the service. We'll have a song. Uh, we're even going to have people come to the front for, for prayer, anything you want prayer for. But maybe you're here today, and maybe this message really touched your heart. And you want somebody to do what we just read, lay their hands on you and pray that God's power might operate in your life. We'd, I can't think of a better time to pray that prayer than right now. But I want to ask you to just, let's just take a moment with me right now before you put your mind in Cracker Barrel or Taco Bell or wherever. But I want you to just bow your head just a minute. And I want you to just take a, a private moment with God and ask the Lord, Lord, what does this mean to me? If I've been resistant to the Holy Spirit, I, I want to ask you to forgive me. Maybe I was taught wrong. Maybe I had a bad experience. But for whatever reason, if I have shut myself down about this possibility of spiritual power, that the book of Acts is more than history, that it's a, a model, a handbook, a guide for what's possible today. If you're listening at home, I want to encourage you, bow your head as well. Just say, Holy Spirit, I, I, I want to move in this. I want you to keep me from error and keep me from the mystical, spooky, and weird. But I want what's really true in this. I want the Lord to speak to me. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want you to be able to use me to pray for people that are sick, to help people that are tormented by demons. I, I, I want to have the gifts of the Spirit. I want to have discernment and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. I, I want to be able to prophesy like Peter said I could. But not just so somebody will give me a newspaper interview. It's so many people will come to Christ. So people's hearts will be touched and their lives changed by the power of God. Come on, slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I, I want you to just fill me with your spirit. I want you to fill me with your spirit. Do it, do, do it with me at home. Just lift your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I want what we read about today. I want the spirit to fall upon me. I, I want the spirit to baptize me. I want to be what Ephesians said. I want to be continually filled with the spirit. I don't want to just do my mission of sharing Christ in my human ability. I want there to be a demonstration of the spirit and power. Come Holy Spirit today. Just say that. Come Holy Spirit. Let me know who you are and become acquainted and familiar with you. In Jesus' name. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Listen, I love you. Thanks for coming. We've got one last song. Before you go, a reminder, you know, there's four exits and there's ushers there if you want to leave your offering. But I want to encourage you to try to go through the uh, foyer if you can. There's those tables with the right for life. I want you to stop by. Also, if you want to uh, sign up, be a part of our dream team, a volunteer. Because how many, first of all, have had somebody say to you, hey, when you get in that new building, I'll come visit you. I mean, I've heard them say that. We only get one time to make a first impression. And so we need a lot of people to help serve and volunteer to make that the best place. And so, uh, you know, sign up on our volunteer booth out there. They got a little gift for you. 
But also, if you fill out a little card, if you're a guest, fill out that card. If you'll drop it off in the foyer, they'll give you a free gift. And I want to invite you personally to our Connect class that starts next Sunday at 9. And you can be out before this next service starts and you still come to the next service. But also, if you haven't got involved at all, want to know about your spiritual gifts, learn about our church, come to that Connect class. It's really a great chance to meet people. But the last question before you go is a very important one. Are you 100% sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Because if you're not, you can be sure before you leave here. It's just a matter of saying, Jesus, come into my heart. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, and I'm going to do something kind of bold. If you're not sure you'd go to heaven or you need to get right with God, you've gotten off track, we just hold your hand up for a second just to acknowledge to God. Say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. Amen. Now, what I want you to do is stop by that cross over there, and we'll say a prayer with you. Take a step out. And I'm telling you, God's going to step out for you, and you're going to know. He'll make a change in your life. Amen. Prayer team, come on up. Pray for anybody who wants prayer. Sing through one more time as we leave. And God bless you and see you Wednesday night.